Let's pray together, church. Father, it is for you that we are here this morning. It is for you that we live. It is for you that we breathe. It is for you that we have our being. Father, take us this morning, conform us to your will, to your word, by the power of your spirit. Oh God, open our eyes this morning to see what you have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now if you are up on vocabulary, there are some words that you'll recognize. If you're not, I'm going to fill some of y'all in. On some of the newest slang words, really not the newest because I don't know the newest ones, but I know some recent words, and I'll throw some of them at you if you don't know what they are. Uh, There's the the phrase YOLO. So I'm going to ask you guys, help, help us old folks figure out what does YOLO mean? Help us out. What does it mean? You only live once. YOLO. Do what you can because YOLO. Right? All right. Here's another one. Lit. If something's lit, what is it? It's pizza. No. That's only in this area. It's exciting. And it's lit. You know, you go to somewhere, man, that's, that place is lit. It's, it's exciting. How about when something's chill? This is not a new one. Y'all know what this one is. Man, that's chill. What's it mean? Yeah, it's relaxing. It's calm. That place chill. How about, uh, what if somebody's savage? We got some savage folk up in this place, I'm telling y'all. <laughs> What's it mean if they're savage? Tough. Fearless. Man, that, that dude's savage. Uh, what, if, uh, what if somebody's flexing? What are they doing? Yeah, they're showing off, right? All right, you got the, the idea. Slang words. Now, the message today is, at least the title that I came up with is this. Hell is not a slang word. Hell is not a slang word. I don't know if you notice, I'm sure that you do, but it is in our culture, it has become a slang word. It is used in ways that uh, the Bible would never use this word. Jesus would never use this word, but it's become a slang word in our culture today, an accepted slang word used uh, to be uh, a, a word of frustration or anger or a way to draw attention to something. Uh, it's used on TV and songs and pop culture uh, all throughout. If you take nothing away this morning, my hope is that you will take the understanding that hell is not a slang word. That hell is something that the Bible speaks of and it speaks of it very gravely. And as the Christian church today, I speak of the greater Christian church today, we have not done a good job of communicating hell. And so this morning I endeavor to to do that. And I would like for you to be prayerful with me as well as uh, understanding. Because this is a topic that is tough. And, and I approach this topic because Jesus approached it. 
And as I talked with my wife this week about it, uh, we talked about certain things that, that are there to communicate hell. And uh, I don't know if y'all have ever been to something called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. It's a play type thing, a drama that's put on that really gives the, the uh, draws light to when you die, you will go to heaven or you will be dragged into hell. And many people see the reality of hell and go, I can't deal with that. I'm giving my life to Jesus tonight. There are some of you this morning who have heard a sermon on hell and said that is a reality that is absolutely terrifying. Jonathan Edwards, a preacher from yester century, preached a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Y'all know it. It's part of our literature. I studied it at school. Where he speaks of you hanging on. As it were from a spider web's one single thread. While the, the flames of hell lick up under your feet. And he pulled that from the Psalms. Now do we go to the Bible to understand what hell is? Or do we look to pop culture where this guy in a red suit with a pitchfork and horns is letting people in and out of hell, which is very unbiblical in every part of it. Because hell does not belong to Satan. Hell is for Satan, for him to be tormented for all eternity. I have talked with people who have lost loved ones who know beyond the shadow of a doubt that they are in hell. And this is what makes it very hard to talk about. Because we care about people and we know. We know as Christians that Jesus saves sinners that repent. Jesus saves sinners that repent from. Help me out, church from hell. So as we broach this topic, I do not I do not do this lightly, casually or with any sense of cavalier. I do this with a grave weight on my shoulders to say, what is hell and why did Jesus talk about it and why do we need to talk about it? Let me first um, Go back a bit and say, hell is not a slang word. And I asked the question, why do you think our culture would take the gravest, most terrifying thing that the Bible speaks about and turn it into an everyday slang word? Have you thought about that? A casual slang word. One of those you can get on TV or slip into a country music song and play on the radio. And I think I've probably answered the question for you is because they have taken what is a reality in the Bible meant to show us the importance 
of coming to Christ and turned it into something that is an everyday thought to minimize the, the influence of what the Bible would use as a, an instrument to show us why we need Jesus Christ. It is the casualization of God's wrath. And y'all, this, this tactic is used all the time. And it's a spiritual tactic. Look, this is from the, the spiritual powers, demonic powers that are doing this. You, you just haven't maybe noticed it, but it's there. Take things that are of great importance and, and make them common. You look at intimacy. What has the world done with intimacy? They've turned it into something that is casual every day and no big deal. They have turned chastity, modesty into something that we just throw out. And and hell is another one. But I want you to consider how the scripture gives us a view of who God is. I want you to consider that God is holy. Set apart, unmatched, unlike any other. That God has a fighting name. The Lord of hosts. The Lord of angel armies is his name. That God is in heaven and his wrath burns hot against sin. And sometimes we casualize our sin to be, well, it's no big deal. God will forgive me. The Bible is very clear, as we will see, that the wrath of God burns hot and forever against your sin. How hot? How angry is God with sin? Do we forget that God sent His Son, His beloved Son, the most beautiful being of all creation, to suffer the brutal death on the cross for sinners? And many times we say, yes, see how much God loves us. And that is 100% true. But how often do we say, but look how much he hates sin. God sent fire to destroy Hophni and Phinehas for approaching him inappropriately. God killed Nadab and Abihu because they did not honor him appropriately. God struck down Ananias and Sapphira for lying to the Spirit of God. The psalmist says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? God is a holy God. We see the prophet Isaiah, when the presence of God is revealed to him, bow on his face and rub his nose in the dirt, as it were, to hide his face from the holiness 
of God. And so I say to you this morning, hell is the most dreadful and undesirable punishment that anyone would ever want to experience. And yet, our culture uses the word flippantly and casually. So let's look at what Jesus said. You probably heard it said that Jesus talked about hell more than anyone else in the New Testament. (coughs) Is that true? Before we look at Jesus's discussion of hell, I want to give you that there are and tell you there are several different words that describe this. I shared this on Wednesday night. This will be a bit of review for you who are with us. The Hebrew word, Old Testament word, Hebrew word sheol is The word for the grave. And many people translate that as hell, but it's not really accurate. It's just a place of the dead. And and in Greek, there's a word for that. It's called Hades. Y'all have probably heard that word, Hades. Hades is the the place of the dead. Uh, It's the realm of those who are dead, disembodied souls. And the, the, the Bible uses this word Hades differently in the New Testament than it uses the word Gehenna. Now, Gehenna is the the word that that Jesus used for a place of burning fire. And those in Jesus' day would have understood that because it it pointed to a valley where people would throw their things to their, their trash, their bodies, their dead carcasses to a place where they would be burned. And, and in Gehenna, it was a place where there was a constant fire. The fire never stopped. And so when Jesus alluded to this this perpetual fire burning the carcasses and the trash and the garbage, people would have made that connotation that this is a dreadful place of stench and horror. There's one other word, Tartarus, that's used. We're not going to talk about that one today. But is a, uh, you can consider it the place where spiritual uh, angels are, are stored as a place of judgment. You can think of Revelation 20 or 2 Peter 2.4. You can go look at those references if you'd like. But a place where angels are chained up, if you will. Let's look at how Jesus described hell. And we're going to look at principles Jesus gave. All right? Principles Jesus gave about hell. And then I'm going to give you some application of what does this mean for us. All right, that's our our roadmap this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verse 22. Pull it up if you will. Jesus did focus on Gehenna, on this hell, the concept of hell. And listen to how he does it. Matthew 5, 22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to what? To judgment. Meaning if, if your anger is out of bounds, you will be judged for it. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, who was the judging council. And whoever says, you fool, Raka, will be liable to Gehenna, the hell of fire. So what is the principle Jesus is getting across? He's getting across that those who cross the line into the realm of sin, will be liable to Gehenna, to the hell of fire. 
This has been a Christian principle since the beginning. And this is something we cannot give up. That, that those who are sinners earn the judgment seat of Christ and earn judgment in a place called hell. The Gehenna of fire. And here's principle number one. There is a liability for your sin. There is a cost for your sin. Some people say it doesn't matter. God is a gracious God. God is a forgiving God. Do you really think he wants to do this to people? And the answer biblically is what? Yes. The answer is yes. Because hell is not an accident or a place that God found. Hell is a place that God created for a purpose. Principle number two. Matthew 5, 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, do what? Tear it out. Throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than than that your whole body be thrown into Gehenna. Into the hell of fire. And if your right hand causes you to sin, do what? Cut it off. Throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Now, how many of you, if I said, I'll give you a million dollars if you cut off your right hand? Maybe some of you would take that. I'm going to guess the majority, you would not. (laughs) I'm going to guess the majority of you would not do that. What if I said, how about your right eye? Million bucks. Would you do it? Some of you may, but, but these things are valuable to us. And Jesus is making this principle known to us. If something is as little as your eye or your hand were so valuable to you, think about your eternity. Isn't your eternity worth more than your eye or your hand? How about this? What isn't worth your eternity outside of eternal punishment in hell? What, what, what isn't worth that? What wouldn't you give up in reality? Your son or daughter? Your wife? Husband? Your paycheck? What is it that you wouldn't give up to stay out of the burning fires of eternity? What is it? And if you have an answer for that question that is here on this earth, friend, I'm going to say that's an idol in your life. And I'm going to say if I'm a, if I'm a betting man and you tell me that that's, that's a grandpa, a grandma, a friend or a daughter, I'm going to say, do you really know what hell is and do you really know what eternity is? Later on in Matthew, Jesus says this, for to everyone who has will be given more 
and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, this is after one of his parables, even what he has will be taken away. Watch this. And cast that worthless servant that didn't do well with what he was given, cast that worthless servant into the outer darkness. Here Jesus is opening the window for us a little bit more. Hell is a place of burning fire, but he's relating it here to a place of outer darkness, aloneness, darkness, fireness. In that place, there will help me out. In that place, there will be what? Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now think about these words. Look, again, this is hard stuff, y'all. Hard. But I want you to think about these two words that Jesus describes as the response of people who are cast into the outer darkness. Of burning fire. What's the first one? Weeping. Now look, I, when my kids were young, there was lots of weeping. When school starts, sometimes there's weeping still in our home. <laughs> Reality of it. I saw some weeping this week during school hours. That ain't nothing. When weeping when the pain never ceases. Some of you guys in this room have experienced chronic pain, back pain, uh, digestive pain, uh, kidney stones, things that you've been consider eternity. Of weeping because of the pain. Now, let's look at the second word, and that is this gnashing of teeth. What is gnashing of teeth? Well, when you think of gnashing of teeth, it could be uh, gritting your teeth because things are, are very hard. If you think of uh, maybe you slam your, your thumb with a hammer and you're just like, ah, I think I saw Eli do that this week. He hurt himself and he was just like, ah, he did something. That's, that's gritting your teeth, gnashing your teeth. Biblically, we see the gnashing of teeth when Jesus came upon those who opposed him. Gnashing of teeth was not an an owl grit. It was a grinding of teeth. Some ask, why is hell eternal? Why? You, You do, if I do something wrong here on earth, why is there an eternal punishment and, and scholars have answered that question in many ways. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> and one of the answers is right here at the gnashing of teeth. What many scholars will say is the gnashing of teeth is the constant anger that people have against God when they are in hell. How could he do this to me? It's not fair. 
And they will come up with reason after reason why God is a terrible God. And that place will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let me pause for a moment. Why did Jesus speak of hell so often? The reason is that he loves sinners and wants to draw them out of this place. You are born into sin. And as Jesus said, he has come to bind the strong man and plunder his house and pull people from the clutches of the strong man who is dragging you to hell with him. That is Satan and his powers. He's dragging people to hell with him. And Jesus comes and plunders his house and says, you're coming with me. Will that be you today? Will that be you? Will you leave the clutches of the strong man and come into the the grace of the stronger man, Jesus Christ the Lord? Because the Christian doctrine is for salvation of sinners. There will be condemnation of sinners as well. But God's desire for you is that you be saved. Will you be saved today? Matthew chapter 10 verse 28. Are y'all still with me? I know this is tough, y'all. I know. It's harder for me than it is for you. Like a dad spanking his child. It's harder for me than it is for you. Matthew 10, 28. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body. Where? In hell. There are a lot of things that this world can do to us, aren't there? Oh, they can be mean to us. They can verbally abuse us. They can torture us. They can slow drip Chinese water torture us. They can patronize us. They can lie to us. They can stab us in the back. They can betray us. And we can feel miserable from the things that this world does. We can feel beat up, broken down. We can feel absolutely depressed. But hear me, hear me. There is nothing that this world can do to you greater than what God can do to you. I don't say that lightly because I know that some of y'all have been through this stuff. And some of you might say, amen, where you have been hurt, hurt by people. But Jesus said that's nothing compared to what God can do to you. And I don't paint God as somebody who who is one who desires to to be vindictive and ugly to you or, or just I'm painting God as a just God who will punish sinners. That's who he is. And that should humble us to our core. Eternity is at stake. Eternity. 
I'll tell you who to fear, Jesus said, the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell forever. Matthew 18, verse 9. And if your eye causes you to sin, we we alluded to this earlier, tear it out, throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown in the hell of fire. I'm going through each instance in which Jesus used Gehenna, hell. Worldly actions have consequences. Let me give you this application, if you will. If you do not fight sin, if you do not battle sin in your life, you will end up in hell. If you do not battle sin, you will end up in hell. And I hope that statement shocks you a bit or or jolts you is a better word. Jolts you a bit. Because as you read the New Testament, if you've read Paul's epistles, he is constantly urging us to strive on in our faith. We read Jude this morning. Now to him who is able to keep you. Christian, you don't need to live in fear. Because Jesus is able to keep you from stumbling. Jesus is able to keep you from stumbling. Like he prayed for Peter. He said, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. Jesus will keep his. And he said, I will not lose one. But we, the, the fruit of that, the fruit of our salvation is that we are striving Daily to fight the sin that ever entangles us. Ever entangles us. Sin will not stop. Neither must we. Matthew 18 verse 9. And if your eye... I've read that one. Matthew 23 verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you actors, hypocrites, phonies. You're an actor. For you travel across the sea and the land to make a single convert, a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. What do we take from this? There are people all across this country and all across this world that would take people and bring them into a false movement in order to enrich themselves or enrich their movement. That was not just in Jesus' day. It is in our day today. It is widespread and it's moving from the United States across the world. Bad doctrine sends people to hell. I'm going to say that again. Bad doctrine sends people to hell.
My wife read a book recently by Rosaria Butterfield. I didn't read the book, but her testimony is this, that she was involved in a, uh, in a lesbian relationship, and the people around her continued to tell her that she was fine. The Christians around her continued to tell her that she was fine, that God accepted, loved, and tolerated her. And her testimony is this. They were lying to me. And y'all know this is a hard topic. It's one that's hits lots of our families. But her testimony was this. They were lying to me. I was not okay. I can read the scripture and see the truth. Her testimony continues. Had I not been told by loving Christian people that I was wrong, my eternity would be in hell. It's not just that sin, y'all. It's adulterers. It's fornicators. It's all of them. Murderers. Pretenders. I'm not picking on somebody. I'm just saying. When we lie to people and tell them that sin is okay, the blood is on our hands. Jesus says, bad doctrine sends people to hell. Trust the word of God. One more from Jesus that I'll read. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you build the tombs of prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers... We would have taken part with them in shedding of the blood of the prophets. Thus, you witness against yourselves that you are those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? What is Jesus saying here? You reject the word of God, you fight against the word of God, the consequence is hell. God's word is truth. Jesus said those very words himself. Lord, sanctify them with your truth. Your word is truth. When we contradict and fight against the word of God and the fulfillment of that word in Jesus Christ, the Lord, the consequence is hell. Let me give you one more passage. I've got to go with this one. Mark chapter 9, verse 42 to 48. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone, a massive stone used for crushing grain, were hung around his neck and him to be thrown into the sea. In other words, that he'd be drowned to death. For if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands and go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell, 
And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter life, enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into hell. And then he describes hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Jesus further describes this place as where the worm does not die. And I asked somebody yesterday, what do you think that means, where the worm does not die? Are there worms in hell? I think the response was, yes, fire worms. I, I, I don't know. But I think the illustration here is this. When someone is buried, the worm continues to churn while their life is dead. In hell, it is an unending, unstopping worm churning. Where the, and he, he likens it to the next verse, where the fire is not quenched. Where there is no stopping of that fire. Jesus elsewhere says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And then a few verses later, And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Y'all, I've got so much more to share, but I don't have time. If you want some more notes, I'd be glad to share these with you. Uh, Let me give you five applications from the doctrine of hell. One is this. Run to Jesus. Fly to Jesus as quickly as you can. You do not know what will happen when you leave this place. Jesus saves sinners that repent. And it takes a complete transformation of your life to give up the lifestyle, the habits of sin, and coming to Jesus and saying, Lord Jesus, whatever you have for me, I I will take that and I will follow you. Fly to Jesus. Five applications, and these are from a man named Paul Tripp on an article that You can look it up later if you'd like to read further. Let me give you these five things that he gives. The doctrine of hell should produce grief. It should break your heart that there are those living with you or around you that are marching toward a God-separated eternal punishment. You cannot celebrate the reality of heaven without grieving over the reality of hell. Does your heart grieve over those who are perishing? Number two from Mr. Tripp. The doctrine of hell should produce zeal. The doctrine of hell produces grief. It also must produce zeal to share the gospel of rescuing grace with those who are perishing. Day after day, you brush shoulders with people marching towards doom. And you've been sovereignly positioned by God to brush shoulders with them. Is your heart zealous To share the gospel. Application number three. The doctrine of hell should produce thankfulness. You should never take pleasure in the death of wicked people. Ezekiel 18, 23. But you should be thankful that final justice is coming. Is your heart broken by the injustice that occurs every day in your world? 
injustice? Does your heart cry out, Lord, how long until the pain of this world is no more? Number four, the doctrine of hell should produce celebration. You should daily celebrate the fact that you're not marching towards hell, but this celebration should not be self-righteous or proud. You could never behave your way out of hell. You could never behave your way out of hell. It is only by the grace of God that you are that you became aware of your sin, desire to live a righteous life and have the ability to make God glorifying moral decisions. It is only by the grace of God. Celebrate that, Christian. And number five, the doctrine of hell should produce prioritization. Eternity reminds reminds us of what is truly important in this life. When you meditate on the reality of heaven and hell, you will rearrange your value system. A believer who meditates daily on the doctrine of hell will invest much more time into the kingdom of God than the kingdom of self. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the doctrine of hell that you have shared with us the truth. And Father, we ask for you to to use this dreadful place to prioritize us, to give us thankfulness, to recognize our shoulder rubbing with others around us, and to have zeal and grief. God, help us. We thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ that has saved us from hell. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.